People are starving for emotional, intimate, spiritual contact to be seen and valued and heard, not through a phone or some digital virtual reality that is not reality. We need to connect with each other from a heart level. And to do that, we need to be present. We need to be open, which is the feminine state, present and open. Regardless if you're male or female, we all have that capacity. We all have that need. And we all have that beautiful ability to connect deeply and spiritually with each other. And ultimately, that is the true fulfillment. That is the holy grail we are all looking for, is that connection at the heart, the soul, the spirit, the divine. And we all have the ability within us. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. Today is a solo cast. I'm going to talk with you about something very, very important, a very important overarching theme of my show, which is spirituality. You know, I'm into holistic health. I have been for over 30 years, mind, body, spirit, and soul, how there is no separation. Your ear knows what your foot is doing and your pancreas knows what your brain is doing. And we can't separate the thoughts from the food, from the environment, from the air, from the people in your life, from the things that you watch. And all of these things are part of what produce our experience in our lives. And for that matter, how we're all connected from one unified source, the universe, uni as in one, and the holism of life. And a big reason why I named the show Awakening Aphrodite, like I talk about in the first one or two episodes, if you go way back in the archives of the show, is because in my experience, we have been very heavily inundated by living in one part of ourselves, in one part of our polarity, the masculine polarity, which is a beautiful, amazing, very, very important, wonderful part of ourselves and our being and the duality of all of life. But the trouble starts when we get unbalanced. And I don't know about you, but I lived the first half of my life predominantly in my masculine, which led to a lot of problems for me. It led to relationship problems. It led to work problems. It led to physical problems. And eventually it led to a complete burnout and pretty much a midlife crisis. <laughs> so I learned the hard way that, okay, wait a minute, this isn't working for me. What's going on? And then I started to discover like, wow, there's a whole nother half of me that I pretty much shut down. And I had pretty good reason for it, which I talk about in like the trauma ex episode, which I think is number 74. And uh, I mention it a lot in a lot of my of the episodes I have with guests. But there was a big part of me that was completely shut down. And, you know, when we do that and we disassociate is the technical term and we repress memories and we have like points of our development that just stop. 
It's usually because we are faced with a stressful situation or trauma that's so uh, upsetting to us that we can't, we don't feel like we have the resources within to handle it. So what we do is we wall off a part of ourselves and we basically stop our growth and we just disassociate from it. And that's where we repress a memory or we have an emotional block or a trigger. And I get a lot into that, into the other episodes. I don't want to be redundant here and get too sidetracked in today's show. But what I'm getting at is because of that trauma that happened to me, I walled off a big part of myself, which was my feminine nature. And it's a reason why I named the show Awakening Aphrodite, because I feel like a lot of us have done the same, particularly if you are female and you have been in business, you're trying to compete in today's world. Perhaps you have ambitions, you have dreams, you feel like you have a purpose, you want to contribute to the world. These are all beautiful things, but we get into trouble when it's unbalanced and we don't learn the importance and the respect and the necessity of paying attention to the other end of the spectrum, which is the <laughs> taking a day off, you know, and just relaxing and then, uh, and kind of going with the flow and trusting the flow of life and accepting that you're human and you can't always be on. You don't always have to be productive. You don't always have to be doing something that's helping somebody or contributing in some way and feeling amazing and looking amazing and all that stuff that we need that ebb and flow. So I feel like a lot of people were struggling with the same thing that I've struggled with. And I feel like collectively as a human race and as a global population, we're facing a very, very real problem going on right now. We're actually on the verge of the sixth extinction. I don't know if you've actually heard that, but it's true. Scientists have been warning of it of a long time. And we now know that Mother Earth is showing major signs of an upset immune system, which looks like global warming, hurricanes, floods. We have over 70% of the natural wild species are extinct. The rainforest is disappearing. We're in a very serious crisis with too much fossil fuel use, too much disrupting the environment, all the 5G satellites in the air, disrupting the uh, magnetism of the planet. And we're in a real situation where if we don't wake up and acknowledge the feminine side of Mother Earth and respecting all of nature, all of life and the resources and that all these things are not here because human beings are the superior race and we're here for us to just consume and and not have consequences that we need to respect the ebb and flow of life. And that's what the feminine symbolizes and demonstrates for us. So that's another reason why I've named the show Awakening Aphrodite. So we can get back in touch with that other half of our nature to help achieve more balance in our lives and help to balance and heal the planet and hopefully humanity, which will ultimately resolve, resolve a lot of the issues that we have. So today's show, Feminine Spirituality, Reawakening the Goddess, I'm going to be referring to a wonderful book that I've talked about before when I did the episode on the heroine's journey, which you might want to check out. That'll be in the show notes. 
And the heroine's journey is super important because you've probably heard of it. It was coined by Joseph Campbell. And it's the epic journey of every good movie. Every good movie has the heroine's journey archetype. And it's basically the story of Star Wars or, uh, you know, uh, all, all of them. I mean, pick one, Harry Potter, all of, all of the, the mythical movies that we all love is that, you know, the hero gets, he go, leaves home and he has to go and slay the dragons. And, you know, he's on a mission and then he discovers gifts in himself that he didn't know he had. And he faces demons and he gets betrayed. And then he goes back and he finds out the treasure was home all along. And then he's evolved. And, but the thing is, is that people don't realize that there's a difference between the feminine journey and the masculine journey. And so there is a heroine's journey. So anyway, that's an episode that I did that's really cool to learn the, the, the distinct female path. And I'm referring to the same resource in today's show as I did on the heroine's journey episode. And it's a wonderful book called As Above, So Below. Paths to Spiritual Renewal in Daily Life by Ronald S. Miller and the editors of the New Age Journal. So let's get right into it. Throughout the world, in literature and the arts, in psychology and religion, in politics and the rising ecological movement, we are witnessing a reawakening of the feminine of, as a cultural force. Revered by the ancients as the goddess, the divine source of life, the feminine is an archetypal pattern in the psyche that affects men and women's capacity for love, relatedness, receptivity, and connectedness to the earth and the cosmos. After being devalued and repressed for millennia, the goddess is returning to a world desperately in need of the feminine values of harmony and cooperation. The Greeks have a mythological tale that illuminates how this reunion takes place in our lives. And you probably are familiar with this tale. It's the tale of Persephone and her mother Demeter. So one day Persephone, the virginal daughter of Demeter, who was the goddess of the grain and also the goddess of the earth, is gathering flowers in a meadow when suddenly the ground splits open. Hades, ugh, the scary god of the underworld, bursts forth in his regal chariot and abducts the helpless maiden down into his dark kingdom below. When Demeter learns of her daughter's abduction and rape, by the way, she was raped by Hades, she wonders what happened. And then she wanders the world in grief and rage, looking for her daughter. As the goddess of the harvest, she was so upset that she actually withheld the bounty of the earth for the people, and everywhere famine threatened the human race. Finally, because of the goddess's uncompromising anger, Zeus commands Hades to release Persephone. And Persephone is eventually reunited with her mother, Demeter, in a tearful embrace. As queen of the underworld, Persephone now has to return to Hades one third of the year. But during the remainder of the, of the cycle, she's with her mother. And the mother and daughter celebrate their unity. And the earth yields its bounty and abundance once again. 
So before we go on, I just want to point out that's a real shortened version of the story. Okay, but basically, it's the idea of a maiden. And you've probably heard the three phases of woman uh, of a woman's life. And I've argued with even some of my guests agree that we think there should be four. The three phases of a woman's life are known to be maiden, mother and crone or wise woman. And I feel, and if you want to check out my episode with Nicole Devaney, who's a beautiful goddess herself, Nicole and I both talk about how there should be a fourth phase of womanhood that's missing. And I think it actually might have been there eventually from my studies, but somehow it's been omitted because it's a very, very powerful one. In fact, the crone or the wise woman is the most powerful, of course, because it's completely the evolution of the spirit. But there's a third phase. It's maiden mother and i think it should be either warrior or queen so warrior slash queen and then the wise woman my guest nicole talked about uh, i think she referred to it as the empress and i've heard other people say the empress as well as that third stage followed lastly by the crone or wise woman and it makes sense to have four stages of womanhood because think about it life and the seasons of the year are four right you have spring, summer, autumn, winter. Okay, you don't have three. And there's a lot, four is also in tarot, the emperor, which is the, the structure of a square. So it's the foundation, it's the root, it's the base of a structure. So to me, it makes sense that there's four phases to complete it. And uh, sorry, I'm going on a little tangent here, but what I'm getting at is, is in this story of Persephone, she starts as the maiden, and then she gets abducted into the underworld, which is a dimension of our being. We have an upper world, which is considered like, so think of it as heaven. If you're Christian, you think of heaven. Then we have the middle world, which is the world that we're in now as our carnate material bodies. Our lives are now what's considered the middle world. And then you have the lower world or the underworld. And some can view that as hell, but in fact, it's it's really not. In fact, in Jungian psychology, it's known as the unconscious. And the unconscious is where we store all the trauma, all the programming, all the things, well, we're just not conscious of, you know, like, oh, why do I always yell when somebody does that? Like, I don't even know why, because I don't know, there's a reason why I'm doing that. It's in my unconscious. So the unconscious is usually symbolic of being in the underworld. So it's nothing to be afraid of in the underworld. It's something that's actually very important. So Persephone gets abducted into the underworld. So it's symbolic of going into her unconscious. Okay. And it's also symbolic of her going through a rite of passage. Now, rites of passage are very, very important parts of our humanity and our soul's evolution. And they were always events that happen in every human being's life, regardless of the culture or the situation, just as being alive as a human. We go through natural rites of passage. And in fact, I talk about this in one of my episodes with a wonderful guest, uh, Susan Wilson. And we talk about how there's a lack of, of uh, rites of passage and rituals in our current culture, although they used to be very, very common. And they still are very common in indigenous cultures as well as Native Americans. For example, your first period, your first monarch would be a rite of passage that would be celebrated by your tribe. 
because it was symbolic of you going into a different phase of your life from your maidenhood, from your childhood to now being a woman, because now you have a creative ability. And remember, it doesn't necessarily mean to create a child. Okay, we have to think of these things symbolically. The womb represents a lot more than just a, a place to have a baby be formed in. The womb is the birth of all your creative potential. It's that it's the vessel of the divine, in fact. So these things have to be thought of symbolically. So a rite of passage for a woman would be that first period, okay, the first menarch. So back to the story of Persephone. So she went down to the underworld into her, her unconscious. And she went through a rite of passage because when she came out of it, she was not the same woman that went into it. And this is back even to our heroine's journey example. When we go through a rite of passage, we are changed. We are different. Okay. Another rite of passage would be like a marriage. Okay. And hence the bride was carried over the threshold. I don't know if you've heard that. It's kind of not really done anymore, but it used to be done. Um, and uh, in, in Judaism, they have bar mitzvahs. Okay. So it's a rite of passage. And they, when they get married, they step on uh, glass to symbolize breaking the glass and all this stuff. So there's, we have retained some of these very important cultural symbolic rites of passage, but um, I'm going to be talking a lot more about them and I'll be working with them with you. Uh, if you come to one of my women's retreats, we're going to be working with them in my women's circle, which you can join, by the way, it's a free monthly circle online. You can join from anywhere. Once a month we meet around the time of the new moon and eventually with my in-person women's retreats, we're going to be talking about these rites of passage because guess what? We need them. Spiritually, we need these rites of passage. Our souls crave them and, and require them for our evolution. It's when we miss these rites of passage from happening that we look for them in other ways than where they can't be found. And we have that aching sense of unfulfillment or just, you know, it doesn't matter how many shoes you buy or how great your hair looks or what person you're dating or whatever. It's like you just can't seem to really be satisfied. There's always something more. And uh, a bad expression of it would be something like, you know, joining a gang, right? Like, or, you know, young men that join gangs or even join the military because they're looking for that rite of passage. And it's another reason why movies like Game of Thrones, that is a classic movie of rites of passage that, you know, men would go to war. And but in Native American cultures, they have rites of passage you know, with sweat lodges and things. So all these, all these traditions need to come back to help us evolve and feel spiritually whole. So Persephone goes through a rite of passage here. And when she ascends from the underworld, she's a different woman and she's certainly no longer a maiden. So some psych psychologists though, view the rape of Persephone as a, as a young woman's initiation into sexual experience and the potential for motherhood. But other psychologists regard her abduction and rape as inner events 
that open women to life's transformative, transpersonal dimensions. So remember, with a lot of mythology, it's symbolic. Okay, it's almost like the Bible in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't that there was a man and there was a woman and the woman was created from the rib and there was a snake and Noah took two animals in an ark. And, you know, it, it's not literal. It's symbolic. And that's why these these myths and stories transcend cultures. They're they're in all continents and all cultures of all ages because they hold uh, epic truths that reign true for the species. So in Persephone's story, the rape was symbolic of a transformation and, and again, a rite of passage for her. So from a cultural perspective, however, we can view Persephone as an embodiment of the feminine values of love, cooperation, and reverence for life. And these are the values that have been systemically devalued in modern life, unfortunately. So in our patriarchal society, Persephone is carried underground. So again, into the unconscious and held captive by Hades, who emphasizes the masculine values of individuality, rational thinking, competition, and the conquest of nature. So again, the symbolism here, okay? So the absence of the feminine values eventually makes life barren and meaningless, hence prompting Demeter to weep and search for our missing wholeness. So when the feminine was abducted by an out-of-balance masculine, the feminine values were lost, and then hence life became barren, and the Demeter wasn't producing wheat and grain anymore, so the people started to die, the earth started to die, because it was out of balance, it wasn't whole, okay? So when at last Persephone returns above ground, she brings with her the riches she has gained in the underworld. Again, so, you know, we ascend from our heroine's journey. We come back a changed, improved, more wise, different woman than when we started out. Or hero, depends, whatever you are. So no longer are we a powerless, dishonored maiden, but instead... We bring the spiritual wisdom and experience needed to help our technologically ravaged world. So it, we bring the wisdom of the feminine, the balanced nature, and the compassion, the love, the holistic nature, and help balance the over-technical world. Okay, so we're in a new movement here. You've probably heard a lot about awakening the divine feminine and all this stuff is out there and women's circles. And um, I mentioned my women's circle. So what's going on here? You know, a lot of people are becoming aware of, wow, we got to do something about global warming and what is going on with all the species dying and pandas dying and, and um, polar bears drowning because there's not enough ice, global warming, too much fossil fuels, um, rivers and waters being polluted and um, not enough clean water to drink. I mean, what is going on here? So people are starting to wake up that we got to pay attention and live more holistically and in balance and responsibly and lovingly and respectfully for all creatures and beings and know that Mother, Mother Earth's resources are finite. You know, there's only so much fossil fuel. There's only so, only so many carbon emissions from our all our 
technology and, and cars and whatever in industries that Mother Earth can absorb and all the trees can absorb that uh, carbon dioxide, that's what's heating up the planet. And it's not coming from cow farts. Let me tell you that. It's coming from fossil fuels and greedy businesses that are overlooking other ways to sustain our energy needs uh, because they just want to keep raking in the dough, but not to get sidetracked. So when a, the goddess returns from exile, says Jungian analyst Jean Shinoda Bolin, who happened to be an amazing guest on my show. And I totally just freak out that she was on my show because she has been a mentor of mine through all the books I've had for, of hers but from years. She is a, uh, wow, she's just a giant in feminine uh, archetypal spirituality and uh psychology and uh, she was on my show oh my goodness i think that was somewhere in the low 80s but she's quoted here by saying when the goddess returns from exile feminist women encounter patriarchal religious systems that elevate the masculine without including much mention of the feminine they feel resentful when told to worship god the father without including his feminine car counterpart goddess the mother Hence, a new movement has developed that consciously elevates the feminine principle as something divine and nourishing. As this grassroots movement grows, feminist spirituality groups are, are springing up all over the country. Some women are working to reform biblical traditions to reflect a feminist vision of the equality of women. Others, such as Merlin Stone in The Mirrors of Womanhood, Search among the ruins of old traditions, seeking to rediscover a spiritual vision based on ancient goddess religion. And let me tell you something, there are plenty of cultures that we have unearthed and have discovered that for centuries existed worshiping the goddess. And the, in fact, you could look at a Merlin Stone classic book, When God Was a Woman, that actually... Um, shows all these cultures that were matriarchies. They actually, because it makes sense, right? Think of a primitive culture, okay? All they knew was the elements. They knew, oh gosh, there's a thunderstorm. They started to figure out when the clouds got really dark, it meant rain was going to come, but that was good because it was going to water the crops or, you know, give them fresh water to drink. And they started to put together connections. That's how they learned from nature is they observed what was happening and they looked for patterns and they start to figure out that's when they were able to predict things and, you know, know the, the, the tides of the ocean and when the fish would come in and when the fish would go out, when the birds would migrate, when the moon would be dark, when the moon would be full and how that affected the plant cycle and the growth cycle, what plants were edible, what plants were poisonous. So just through trial and error, they, they learned from the land. They were part of nature. They were coherent with nature. They, um, existed because of their understanding of the cycles of nature. And there were plenty of cultures that were either egalitarian in that the, the males and the females of the race were equally important and equally respected, different, but equally respected and important, which is beautiful. And they weren't patriarchal, which is what we're living in now, which is really just all about the masculine running the show and devaluing the, the feminine. This disenchantment of the father god of the Judeo-Christian tradition, other women hope to escape their spiritual oppression 
by turning eastward. However, although Eastern spiritual traditions speak of the highest truth as being beyond gender, the teachers and traditions from which they come generally reflect and maintain a patriarchal bias in their hierarchy, and they rank men over women. For example, women oftentimes in the East, they can't even drive cars. They're not allowed to vote. They have to uh, wear veils over their face still, <laughs> you know, and not show their hair or any of that stuff. I mean, I still see it when I go to Miami with some of the Hasidic Jews. They don't, um, they have to cover all their body parts. They can't show skin. And, you know, they have all these very um, gender biased traditions. Um, and the women aren't allowed to be priestesses. And let me tell you something. We know there are all these ancient cultures, like I mentioned before, where the women were the priestesses. And the stories of Mary Magdala, who was a priestess with uh Jesua, which Jesus, and that's another story. But women were always very spiritual and very highly respected in cultures, hence the name wise woman. And women were always the oracles. They were always older, wise women. They were the oracles. They weren't, the oracles were not masculine. It's not that there was anything wrong with the men and they weren't qualified to be oracles or any of that, but it was thought that the women were the oracles because the women were more adept at being intuitive and being receptive to the downloads from spirit, from the divine. It wasn't any other reason other than that. It wasn't because they were better or anything. But they, my point is that they were very much revered, if not completely respected and valued, but revered because they were the spiritual downloaders, unlike today. So, what unites all these women is their vehement objection to patriarchal religious traditions that portray the divine in exclusively masculine terms. In the book, Wisdom's Feast, Sophia in Study and Celebration, Susan Caddy, Marianne Ronan, and Hal Tussig give voice to this dilemma by saying, a woman whose only symbol for God is male may be able to pray to him and be comforted and strengthened by him. But there is a level which is beyond her reach. She can never fully identify with him. She may believe that she is created in his image, but what does that mean to be like someone who's called, quote, father? Only by denying her own sexuality or by placing it in a sphere that is totally out of reach, beyond sexual identification, can she relate as one who is created in the image of a male God. She can never have the experience that is open to every male in our society or to have her sexual identity affirmed by God and to identify directly with, quote, him. So there's a fundamental separation here with this patriarchal idea of only a male God, only one polarity. Religions centered on the worship of an exclusively male God keep women in a state of psychological dependence on men and male authority. Besides disempowering women, these systems also create an unabridgeable chasm between the created world and its divine source. In patriarchal religions, we experience God up in the heavens, removed from the earth, like a monarch who rules with authority. 
Human beings are down on the lowly earth, cut off in some fundamental way from God's transcendent splendor. By separating the divine from nature, we then exploit the earth's resources without regard for the health of the natural systems. Because what the point here is that we think of ourselves as separate. In religions that honor the feminine, people experience the divine as love and compassion present both in nature and culture. As spiritual realization expresses itself in political action, people work on changing social systems that sanction inequality and injustice. Because there is less emphasis given to hierarchies, there is a broader distribution of power among the downtrodden, and including women, oppressed races, the handicapped, and the elderly. And because the divine is intimate, embodied in all of life's forms, people also tend to value the earth as a sacred vessel in which the spirit indwells. By resacralizing the body and sexuality, feminine earth-based spirituality heals the split between the above and the below, between spirit and matter, and between the mind and body, which has haunted the Western religious imagination. Rather than supporting spiritual hierarchies that have power over people, feminine spirituality focuses on shared power, power that comes from within. Instead of looking for external sources for spiritual authority, we find it in ourselves. This emphasizes the personal experience rather than on doctrine or dogma. Traditional religion, with its hierarchical organization and its, quote, one true approach, the way to the divine, destroys the creativity and spiritual life. In feminist spirituality, we respond with our uniqueness, creating rituals from many traditions, Jewish, Christian, Greek, Buddhist, Wiccan, that truly stir us in our depths. By democratizing and individualizing spiritual expression, we rely less on ideology and more on our own inner experience. So let's get into the goddess. I mentioned earlier Merlin Stone's classic famous book that you probably need to get if you're interested in this kind of thing called When God Was a Woman. And it definitely shows evidence of all these uh, older uh, cultures that were matriarchal and worshiped the goddess because it makes sense, right? I mean, again, thinking of primitive people, like they saw when a baby was born or when life was brought into the world, it came from a woman. So why would the creator not be a woman to them? I mean, just think, reduce it down, total reductionist, fundamental idea, right? I mean, again, learning from what they observe, like, okay, that little bird had a baby and it came from the female bird. That dog had a baby. It came from the female dog. Uh, our tribe, that woman had a baby. It didn't come from the man. You know, so they just deduced that it only made sense that the creator, the divine creatrix, was feminine. Okay, it, it's logical. Um, you know, we've since realized that really it takes the masculine feminine polarity, the duality to come together for the divine. But it makes total sense to think that it, why wouldn't people think that God was female? So certainly not just male. It's really illogical when you when you reduce it down. So as Merlin Stone states, throughout Western Asia and Asia Minor, the chief deity for many centuries was a great mother goddess. 
In whatever form she was worshipped, it could have been Ishtar, Ashtar, Isis, Sebel, or Demeter, her celebrants honored the changing seasons of the year, the agricultural cycle, and the ongoing rhythms of life, death, and regeneration. Our ancestors worshipped the goddess as a personification of the life-giving and life-destroying powers of nature. As the mother of all, she gives birth to and nurtures all life, including plants, animals, and human beings. As the wielder of nature's destructive powers, like the Hindu goddess Kali, she dissolves physical form as a prelude to the regeneration of life. In her refusal to separate death from life, she embraces both poles of existence and a vision of organic wholeness. And that's what the feminine is all about. The feminine is about the whole, the unity. It's a circle. It's not a line. The masculine is the line. The feminine is the circle. The circle and the line join together, and that creates life. That is the impregnation of an egg. Okay, so the feminine is the round. The masculine is the linear. You need the two to come together to create. So we can extrapolate that in our lives, right? If you just dream all day and make your affirmations and think how wonderful your imagination, how great it's going to be when you have this job, that job, whatever it is you want, this body, that house, that baby, whatever it is, you just imagine it. It's wonderful, but you have to take action, right? You got to go out and look on the real estate listings or you got to, you know, study and learn a craft so you can get the job. Or So it takes the dream, the imagination, the feeling, the desire, the the passion, the love, but it also takes the action, the doing, the material, the feminine and the masculine that unify, that come together, that manifest. That's how you manifest. You have to have them both. You can't just have one or the other. So we know both poles of existence are necessary. By bringing in the feminine and not thinking of her as separate, We embrace both poles of existence with a vision of organic wholeness. So the Great Mother was thought to shelter humanity in a state of pre-conscious unity with nature, which prevented the emergence of the individual ego as a center of independent will and action, which is what's happening now. By breaking free of the Great Mother's smothering protection, the individual ego gained control over the fluctuations of nature, emotion, instinct, and environment. A feat dramatized in the hero myths of world literature, such as Perseus's slaying of Medusa. But in its zeal to assert its independence, the ego not only transcended the great mother, which was desirable, because you know what, if you didn't, you never individualized. There's nothing wrong with the ego, by the way. I feel like the ego gets bashed a lot. You need to have an ego, because if you didn't have an ego, you would never self-actualize. You would always think of yourself as your mother's kid, or frankly, you would never even put on your pants because you don't think of yourself as separate from the world. Think of a tiny newborn baby, right? They're naked. They don't even know they're naked. They love their poop. They look at everything. They stick everything in their mouth because they don't think of it as separate from them. They are everything. So we need our egos. We need to individualize. But the problem is when it goes to excess and that's when the rape and the pillage begins. So that's the, that's the toxic ego, okay? So it's disastrous when it goes too far. So basically, that's what's happened to the Western ego is what it's saying here. 
It's demonstrated not just as an awakened assertiveness, but basically a blind arrogance. So the religions of the goddess never completely died out in the West. Despite the persecutions of the Inquisition and the witch burnings, which resulted, I'll add, in seven to nine million women, it's been estimated, that were killed, murdered, hunted down and murdered because they were considered to possibly be witches in the name of religion, in the name of love, these women were murdered. So basically, my friend, I would be murdered. I would be considered a witch with the work I do in trying to <laughs> help people live naturally and learn from herbs and the medicinal value of food and the warmth of the sunshine and the fresh air and respecting and loving all creatures. I'd be considered a witch. And most likely you would too, if you resonate with any of that stuff. Um, anybody that's ever used an herbal medicine or, um, you know, concocted something that helps somebody heal, like a healing pulmice or tea or anything, you'd be considered a witch. You would have been burned at the stake. Lovely. In the name of love. So anyway, the good news is a lot of these old religions went underground and they recently have been reemerging in something called the Wiccan movement, which is one of the strongest goddess-centered streams within feminist spirituality often called witches, which are followers of Wicca. They consider themselves to be priests and priestesses of an old European shamanic natural-based religion that worships a goddess related to the ancient mother goddess. Unlike God the Father who rules the world, the goddess is the world, manifests the moon and the earth, the stone and the seed, flowing the river, and the budding and blossoming of fruits, plants, and nature. The goddess also presents an image of an empowerment for modern women. For women, the goddess is a symbol of the inmost self and the beneficent, nurturing, liberating power within women. The cosmos is modeled on the feminine body, which is sacred. All phases of life are sacred. Age is a blessing, not a curse. The goddess does not limit women to the body. I'm going to read that again. The goddess does not limit women to the body. No, no, no. In fact, the body was a vessel to the divine. She awakens the mind and spirit and emotions. Through her, we can know the power of our anger and aggression, as well as the power of our love. And I'll just put up pen in that for a minute, because I want to point out a lot of times when people think of awakening their feminine nature or the feminine or female energy or any of that stuff, they think of like, you know, pink rainbows and lilies and daffodils and ponies and, and, uh, you know, being basically a doormat and passive and, you know, just no boundaries or, or anything. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. Let me tell you, have you ever heard of the Amazons? There were cultures of warrior women. I'm sure you've heard of Wonder Woman. Well, she was based on the goddess Diana, who was an Amazon. Okay, she was a warrior. Or Kali, who's the goddess of destruction and volcanoes and earthquakes. Hence, Mother Earth. Yes, Mother Earth is beautiful with all the little bunnies and rabbits and beautiful flowing streams. But have you ever seen a tsunami? Have you ever seen a, a tornado? Or a hurricane or a volcano, that's Mother Earth, baby. So don't think for a second that the feminine is this passive doormat 
that you have to just, oh, whatever you want, honey. I don't know. You want to see a movie? I don't care. What do you want to see? It's not any of that stuff. It can be, you know, but it's not. It's not showing the whole story. She's all of it. She is the storm and she is the calm. She's all of it. And it's all in all of us. And it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be embraced and channeled so you can properly engage the power by knowing the discretion of when to employ what part of that energy in yourself. So according to Naomi Goldenberg, author of Changing of the Gods, practitioners worship the goddess in three forms. And I mentioned these earlier, a maiden, mother, and a crone or old wise woman who's past menopause in who is full of life experience and wisdom. This is known as the triple goddess. And I mentioned, I'm just going to, again, put a pen in this because I think there should be four phases, the maiden, the mother, and then the third missing stage, which is either the warrior or the queen or the empress, and then the wise woman. So although it's traditionally referred to as the triple goddess, because again, it's missing that fourth stage, the triple goddess allows the witch to envision herself as regal, being valuable even when she feels unattractive or old, even when she's unattached to any man or any child. So she's sovereign unto herself. She doesn't need to have value based on something outside of herself. That is a really important point, okay? So can we find and feel and emanate value in who we are just by existing without having to attach ourselves to exterior things to help validate our insecurity and our lack of confidence that we're inherently valuable just because we exist. And there's nothing we need to do or show externally to earn value. Mm -hmm. Something to think about. So in these ancient traditions of the goddess, there was no dualism of body and soul, no concept of original sin, no rigid law of discipline to keep so-called human base human instincts in control and no sacred texts. One thing, though, it does acknowledge is something called the threefold law of return. This is very important because this threefold law of return states that what we send out returns to us three times over. Okay, so a lot of us might uh, be familiar with that by the term karma, right? Or the boomerang effect, right? What you throw out comes back. So this injunction introduces a strong ethical element to these goddess rituals. So, you know, there's a question, who needs the goddess? Women need the goddess, <laughs> I would say. And men need the goddess too, because the goddess affirms the legitimacy of female power, Okay. In addition, she affirms the feminine body and its life cycles. And like I said earlier, you're not supposed to always be on. We have an ebb and the flow, just like the tides of the ocean or the cycles of the moon or the seasons of the year. Okay. The feminine is cyclical. It encourages women to assert their personal will. Okay. Notice the word assert. Okay. Again, no doormats here, ladies. And it promotes women's relationship to other women through sisterhood, something very important. The patriarchy has always 
had an undercurrent of promoting competitiveness, right? Who's the best looking or that girl's going to steal my man or he's looking at her and he's mine. And, you know, who has the best body and all this stuff to, um, you know, help you feel more secure and, and someone's not going to leave you and all this bullshit, excuse me, but <laughs> sorry, that just came out. But, you know, we've lost women need other women in ancient traditions. These the rituals and the rites of passage and women's mysteries and women's ways were taught to women by women from love. OK, women taught women how to be other women. There was not competition. OK, there was camaraderie and respect. And sure, I'm sure this cattiness. I mean, yeah, we're all human. We all have our insecurities. I mean, I'm not saying it was like utopia, but, you know, the point. Right. And you know what I'm talking about, that really, do you have girlfriends? Do you have sisterhood? I mean, is there somewhat of a little bit of competition or insecurity going on there at some level? If we're all honest, I guess we'd admit, yeah, because we were raised that way. It's really not our fault, but it doesn't have to be that way. And it has not always been that way. And we can get it back. And finding a community of women that feels the way that I'm talking about is doable. It's out there. For example, again, join my women's circle, find a woman's circle near you or find your tribe. But here's the other thing I want to talk about. Men need the goddess too, because just because the patriarchy has subjugated women, it doesn't mean men haven't suffered as well. I personally know a lot of beautiful, loving, compassionate, gentle, just wonderful men in my life that have been oppressed with their emotions. I know a lot of very masculine, manly, strong, you know, big burly guys who were never allowed to cry, were afraid to show vulnerability with their with their intimate partner because of fear of judgment or, or disrespect. And it's understandable because that's the patriarchy. So men have suffered as well. So ladies, listen up. I'm all for equal rights, yes. But women have not been the only one who has suffered because of the patriarchy. Men are human beings. They are holistic, just like women are. We all have dark and light. Men have fears and securities, emotions, feelings. Of course, I know you know that. But think about how you would feel if your man was vulnerable or cried or was, you know, nervous or whatever. You know, men have not been allowed and it's not been accepted to have the gamut of feelings that all human beings have. So men have suffered and men need the goddess just as much as women do. The oppression of men in father God ruled patriarchy is perhaps less obvious, but no less tragic than that of women. Men are encouraged to identify with a model no human being can successfully emulate. To be many rulers of narrow universes. They're internally split into a spiritual self that is supposed to conquer their baser animal and emotional natures. And they're at war with themselves in the West to quote unquote conquer sin and in the East to quote unquote conquer desire of the ego. But few men escape from these wars undamaged. Men lose touch with their, their feelings and their bodies because the bodies and the feelings are synonymous, right? The bodies are giving us communication of the feelings. So they disassociate. Hence, I know I did that. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, when I was over-masculinized in my life, 
and I was living predominantly from my masculine. I basically cut off feeling my body and I was overriding my body all the time in the way I was eating, the way I was exercising, the way I was driving myself at work. And in spite of being exhausted and kept going, I was ignoring the, sim- the symptoms from my body and to the detriment of my body eventually it led to my burnout. So let my mistakes be a lesson for you. Start paying attention to your body. That's the feminine goddess in you is your body. It's your body, whether you're male or female to start paying attention. Like right now, if you're sitting while driving or whatever you're doing, how are you feeling? How was your body? Like for me, I've been sitting a while doing this episode and my back is starting to hurt in my chair, but I'm overriding it because I'm focused on giving you this show. Okay. But when I really get conscious and embody, embody, be in my body and feel my body and get out of my head and drop down, I become embodied. And that's when I start to awaken the feminine part of me, which is, wow, I mean, I'd really like to get up and move a little bit. Okay. So it's the feeling nature and it's a very important source of information. Ignore it at your peril. You can get away with it for a little while. But if it goes on too long, that's when you get an illness, a disease, a pain, a burnout, an addiction, some kind of imbalance. You can't ignore it forever. So the symbol of the goddess enables men to experience and integrate the feminine side of their nature. For a man, the goddess as well as being the universal life force, because that's what the goddess is. It's the life force is his own feminine hidden female self. She embodies all the qualities society teaches him not to recognize in himself. His first experience of her may therefore seem somewhat stereotyped. She will be the cosmic lover, the gentle nurturer, the eternally desired other, the muse, basically all that he's not. As he becomes more whole and becomes aware of his own female qualities, she seems to change to show him a new face, always holding up the mirror that shows what to him is still ungraspable. He may chase her forever and she will elude him. But through the attempt, he will grow until he too learns he finds her within. Wow. So according to Christine Dowling, the healing of men's relationship with the feminine also has profound implications for the healing of the earth. Earth-based spirituality, with its emphasis on living in harmony with the natural world, speaks powerfully to men as well as women. Although men and women relate differently to the goddess, we all need to embrace the emerging consciousness to avoid ecological catastrophe. In this endeavor, No one sex has exclusive rights to the goddess blessings. Indeed. I'm going to say that again. No one sex, whether it be feminine or masculine, has exclusive rights to the goddess's blessings because ultimately it is all one. So feminine spirituality, with its emphasis on ecological awareness, plays a critical role in healing the earth of its technological wounds. But ultimately, it does something far more revolutionary. It gives us a a historical foundation on which to rebuild the modern world on principles of egalitarianism rooted in ancient goddess religions, like I referred to, 
I already mentioned the famous groundbreaking book, The Chalice and the Blade, which presents architectural evidence that seems to show that Neolithic societies that worship the supreme deity as female enjoyed a partnership between men and women. These societies did not rank people hierarchically, engage in warfare, or promote the senseless violence, looting, and rape and pillage that we generally associate with so-called primitive civilizations. These cultures are referred to in the Chalice and the Blade of Old Europe and Minoan Crete partnership societies because they based social organization on linking rather than ranking, on equality of the sexes rather than dominance of one group or another. So again, here's archaeological evidence of many, many vast cultures across the planet that were egalitarian. They were not patriarchal that men and women lived in harmony and unison and cooperation of equal value and equal respect. Different, but valued equally. There wasn't any hierarchy there as in the patriarchy of today. Now, this doesn't mean it was like all sunshine and rainbows, but the point is, is that women were respected just as much as men were respected and they were um, equals. So this this peaceful state of affairs, which lasted for thousands of years, came to an abrupt halt during the late Neolithic and early Bronze Age. This is when the Indo-European and other invaders destroyed or radically altered the peaceful civilizations that worshipped the nurturing powers of the universe, symbolized by the ancient chalice or grail, which is the symbol for the feminine, by the way. These invaders worshipped what University of California archaeological archaeologist Maricha Gambatsu calls the lethal power of the blade, hence the name Chalice and the Blade. The power to take life was the blade and to establish power through domination. So what happened was, this saying is, is that the Indo-European invaders, these cultures, these other societies came into these peaceful egalitarian civilizations with the blade, with their swords and their weapons, and they basically killed everybody because of their advanced technological weaponry. And they destroyed all the temples. They destroyed all the all the artifacts and the the grail, which was the feminine, uh, because just by brute force. I mean, most of us know that men are physically, on the whole, stronger than women. They just have more mass and more testosterone. They're just stronger and bigger usually. And because of that brute force, they can dominate, right? It's just, it's just a physical fact. So a lot of what happened with these egalitarian cultures that worship the feminine in partnership with the masculine, they were wiped out just through sheer brute force. They were peaceful people. They didn't have swords to fight back. So they were wiped out and destroyed. So overrunning old Europe, Mesopotamia and Palestine, these invaders suppressed goddess worship and its life-affirming values. In its place, they eventually substituted a transcendent male deity that sanctioned social systems in which male dominance, violence, and authoritarian rule became the norm. So implacable foes of the goddess, the victors then rewrote history. Hello, they rewrote history. Hence his story, right? History, portraying goddess religion as evil and basically devil worship. Women identified with the goddess were denied full participation in society. 
Across the world, there arose what, what is called the dominator societies, whose religious, political, and social practices were based on the hierarchical ranking of men over women. In the past several thousand years, dominator thinking has obscured most references to our egalitarian past, exiled the divine feminine from our religions, and brought us into an evolutionary dead end as evidenced by our global ecological crisis. I mean, hence Mother Earth is suffering. Yet there is cause for optimism. Yay. The partnership resurgence of the 60s has spawned international movements promoting women's rights, peace, social justice, and ecological consciousness. Feminist spirituality reinforces these movements that emphasize that we cannot graft a peaceful, ecologically balanced global system onto social structures that permit one half of humanity to dominate the other half. It's just illogical. In fact, without the feminine, the feminine spiritual perspective, progressive ideological movements cannot alone move us from a dominator to a partnership system. The transformation of society cannot occur until the power to give and nurture life takes precedence over the power to dominate and destroy. Only then will we have the temporal and spiritual foundations for a more balanced, just, and peaceful world. The dominator mentality seems so deeply entrenched in our culture that changing it sometimes appears tantamount, almost to a task of pushing an enormous boulder up a steep hill again and again. Our culture still worships at the altar of violence, domination, and conquest. As evidenced by movie heroes, we glorify like Rambo and Dirty Harry, etc. Given the pervasiveness of this model, we need to infuse the world with softer, more feminine values that nurture and heal rather than brutalize and destroy, because there is no better place to begin than at home. So doing what you can with what you have, never underestimate the power you have to change the world just by your world. If every single person thought I'm going to make my little world, my little circle on the globe a little bit better today, what would happen? Just think about it. If every single person had that thought, I'm going to do my best to be responsible for my energy and bring my best self and be responsible for my life and contribute as much as I can on my growth and healing and spread love and compassion and respect and reverence for all of life. Would this world be a better place? I think you know the answer. So no, never underestimate the power you have to be part of the solution, my friend. So I hope this has helped you and at least to get you thinking bigger, even if more historically, that life as you see it now is not the way life has always been for humanity. In fact, it was vastly different thousands, if not even just hundreds of years ago, good, bad, or indifferent. It was different and something's going to change for us to course correct and get back on track to protect mother earth and all its creatures, especially those that can't protect themselves and to be part of the solution. Education and knowledge is important, but having wisdom is essential, and wisdom means doing something about it, is taking it and applying it, and learning from the pain. That's what wisdom is. If you've been in pain in your life or you're in pain now, 
taking that pain and alchemizing it like they do in shamanism and making some gold out of it is by using that pain to grow and maybe fuel you to be part of the solution. So I hope you'll join me in returning a more egalitarian, respectful, loving world by starting with your world today, starting with my world today, by the next person you see, maybe just a kind smile, look them in the eye, maybe a sincere compliment or acknowledging them that they exist. You might be the only person that actually talks to someone in, in one day. People are starving for emotional, intimate, spiritual contact to be seen and valued and heard, not through a phone or some digital virtual reality that is not reality. We need to connect with each other from a heart level. And to do that, we need to be present. We need to be open, which is the feminine state present and open, regardless if you're male or female, we all have that capacity. We all have that need and we all have that beautiful ability to connect deeply and spiritually with each other. And ultimately that is the true fulfillment. That is the Holy grail. We are all looking for is that connection at the heart, the soul, the spirit, the divine, and we all have the ability within us. So I hope this show has inspired you and given you a few references to do some more research on your own. And I thank you so much if you're still with me and listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review, it only takes a minute, but it means the world to me. And it really helps my show exist and helps keep me going and helps the show reach more people so we can help do this thing and be part of the solution before it's too late. Thank you, my friend, and I'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. Would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are? If so, please subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend. And if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at fitamytv, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also Fit Amy TV. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.